broadcasting live out of a basement in Appleton, Wisconsin. You're tuned in to Fox City's Core on WCZR Code Zero Radio. We're the show that gives you an opportunity to call in and be a part of the show. Our call in line is 920-358-0795. Core. Well, everybody, welcome to Fox City's Core on WCZR Code Zero Radio. If this is your first time tuning in, WCZR is an independent streaming rock station based out of Appleton, Wisconsin. And typically during Fox City's Core, we would air live on Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. Today we have a special edition of Fox City's Core, though. We've got the man himself, Brett Newski, in the studio. Brett, how are you doing? What's up, McNamara? Thanks for hosting me. I appreciate you doing this because I know you've had a lot going on. And Mile of Music is always... It's busy, even if you know you've got if you've got two to twelve shows. Either way, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's nice to not have shows now. We finished. We played two yesterday. I was like hoping to go out and rally with with friends and have a drink or two, but I just went to bed at like nine forty five p.m. and uh, biked over to your house this morning, and here we are. You biked over. So yeah. is, that, is that how you've been getting around Mile Music the last couple of days? Yeah. Well, uh, Romanesco usually loans me his scooter. His like uh, his. <laughs> super putter scooter that zips around but it's out of commission um and now yeah it's a push bike for me nice <laughs> that's, that's cool so i mean i know back to the or bike to the beats going on right now and which is i don't know if you've ever participated in that i don't know anything about like biking culture i don't like wear the spandex or like you know the uniform or the costume or the pointy helmet i'm just kind of like a loser with short shorts that bikes around uh <laughs> appleton with a water bottle and a gatorade you're no stranger to the Appleton area. You've been performing up here for quite a while. I mean, what's your earliest memory of Appleton, Wisconsin? I think I played like a backyard, like Basil's backyard for like maybe like 200 bucks 10 years ago, uh, like in the middle of the sun. Um, and that was at the infancy of Appleton of stuff starting to happen here. But you could you could start to feel it a little bit. I remember Ian Thompson was the door guy, um, and he's now like the kingpin. <laughs> So like we were both kind of starting on the toilet bowl circuit. Uh, now we're we're both doing it full time, which is pretty cool. Was it uh, like as far as this mile music ten? What what mile is it for you? How long have you? How many times have you been up here? We've probably uh, we you know we've probably played mile of music six or seven times. There's been about four or five times where. Um, the previous talent buyers offered us like a hundred dollars. So we're like, all right, we can't do that. We can't, I can't lose my ass. Um, but, uh, the offers have gotten much better and, uh, and the people have been so sweet to us. And now, uh, yeah, we, we want to come as, as much as possible. That's great. And a lot of hap is a lot of, uh, a lot has happened since the first time you came up here. Uh, the band switched out. You've, you've you rebranded as new ski. Yes. So what, 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 uh, drove the, the reason to go from Brett Newski to Newski? Um, I think it's just, I mean, our sound is just such a band sound. And, uh, you know, n- name, naming your band after your name, is it's like such an Americana thing. And uh, it's just not us, you know. So I think it just made a lot of sense uh, sonically. And, like, um, and the name is kind of quirky. The band's kind of quirky. You know, we, we get to do a lot of dumb stunts on stage and antics. And, you know, we have a couple couple more tongue-in-cheek songs so it just kind of felt like time to do it you know as the 
response? Anybody confused by that? It doesn't <laughs> seem like it. I was worried about it. The only things that are confused are social medias, like trying to merge profiles. It's been actually quite a very minor hiccup, but uh, you know how it goes, like trying to get a hold of anyone at like Apple Music or Spotify. If you need like a hand, like merging a profile, it's just not going to happen. You're just, right. it's all robots and cyborgs. So uh, it's, it's what it is. And uh these things I don't really stress about too much anymore, like this, the small stuff. It just used to drive me much more insane, and, and now I, uh, whatever, you know. <laughs> so when did you officially start playing music and, and decide to pursue it on a like professional level? Um, I think during college we started to get paid. You know, we had some party bands in college, and that was great. Um, and that was like the the moment where I was like, oh, we can actually make money playing music whoa that's i never thought that'd be possible because uh, i grew up in like a midwest household pretty you know blue collar like straight down the pipeline um so like making money at the arts or mixing arts and commerce was like never a thing that was even feasible so um yeah and then post-college i just went hard and you know worked some weird odd jobs um i've probably had like 40 different bizarre odd jobs to kind of supplement the music and then the last you know 10 years it's been it's kind of been all i've all i've done that's my only source of income does that does that make it more enjoyable or, or less enjoyable to also have that as your only stream of income well it's cool for a while i think um i'm you know i'm in my mid-30s now so I've, i'm just coming it's the novelty is has worn off you know so i probably rode on straight uh, desperation and, and novelty and thrills for probably 10 years straight, which is, makes you relatively un, uh, unshakable mentally in, in some facets. I mean, I've had plenty of troughs, but, uh, and now it's just like, um, okay, how can I sustain? How can I live healthier? How can I do this for the long haul? Because, uh, you know, even having a beer or two at a show, it's like that slows you down. Um, so yeah, I mean, it takes, uh, just a lot of discipline, diet, exercise, um, working more efficiently. I think it's easy to work, do busy work for the sake of work to feel like you're busy or posting on social media is like, can be pretty empty. Um, or like it's like social media is like the, it's like the illusion of progress. You're not actually really doing anything when you're posting on social media. Like the, the way to make progress is like making things, making stuff. And then if you want to show it to people on social media, great. But um, so, yeah, spending less time on the Internet, spending more time creating um, all these things and just trying to get uh, more sound mentally, you know, have a stronger community around, more consistent friends that you see more often, um, which is a hard thing in America. People are so busy and they have uh, families or multiple families or no i don't know <laughs> yeah how do you like put a handle on the social media stuff because it seems like there's every year like another platform and it seems like there's a, a group of people on this one a group of people on that one like do you have an easy way to make sure you're hitting all the platforms do you care about that do you just pretty much post an update like one platform like instagram or facebook or are you on threads now great question don't even know what threads is um <laughs> Yeah, in that regard, it's just like, I mean, what's the price of your sanity, you know? It's like, I think for anyone doing this sort of thing, focus on the the two or three social medias that work for you and just get good at those. I mean, maybe that's not good advice, but it, it 
it's working for me, I suppose. You know, we're not like a TikTok band. We don't have a following on TikTok, but we have a good Facebook following and people find out about us through Instagram. So that's that seems to be working. Um, but yeah, right. If you can get ahead of a of a technological trend and get in early, like, for example, uh, if you were in on um, Kazaa or, or Napster early and you could like figure out a way to leak your music on Napster before everyone knew about it, you could gain quite a lot of followers because it was a new thing if you hit it right at the right time. So that's still a thing if you can be ahead of technology. Um, I can't spend too much time thinking about that or I won't make any good songs. (laughs) Well, yeah. And I guess too, when a new platform comes out, you've got to hurry to get new ski now or else you're going to be new ski band or the new ski or new ski dot six horrible to think about these things <laughs> yeah i mean even if you copyright your own name uh, i was just talking to a, an attorney pete strand today my attorney feels cool to say that <laughs> my attorney pete yeah uh, he told me even if you trademark your own band name if someone claims it on a on a platform before you you can't do shit about it you know so it's interesting what the hell <laughs> what the hell's the law for well so what was the first thing you put out? What was the first release that that you put out under Brett Newski? Um, it was called In Between Exits. It was um, recordings I made while I lived in Asia, traveling around. So I would record at all these like lo-fi makeshift studios in Saigon or the Philippines or Hong Kong when I lived over there. Um, and that was kind of like a, I don't know, Elliot Smith-ish type thing, acoustic, indie, kind of weird, melodic, short short um, acoustic-based songs. And then uh, I, I formed a band in Saigon, Vietnam called Brett Newski and the Corruption. And we made an album called Tiny Victories, which I still think is really good. And um, I, I might have missed it, but what were you doing over there? Oh, um, I was just living in uh, <laughs> in Nam. <laughs> just, just because you decided to, to do that? Or was there a reason behind it? I think I'm just insane. Okay. No, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was just traveling around and I really liked it. So I was like, I'm going to try to move here for a year. And then a year turned into two years. And yeah, I formed a band with a British guy and a Canadian dude <laughs> in central Saigon. And we put out this album called Tiny Victories and toured the USA two times on it. And um, I think it still holds up. It's not a lot of people heard it because we did it before we knew we had any industry connections or knew anything about how to tour. But um, yeah, it's a cool cool memory you know and at that point you weren't really doing anything like semi it was more like hobby as far as playing well i was doing music full-time but not in a not in just like releasing my own records and selling them i was like teaching guitar i was like doing voiceovers doing like commercial music for tv stuff like that um so i would get like a i'd get a call on my little 15 dollars burner phone in vietnam and be like hello Mr. Brett, Mr. Brett, I'd be like a little Vietnamese lady who like barely spoke English. She's like, you come to 222 Winden 2 Street at two o'clock Red Bull commercial. And then I would like zoom through the alleyways and the corridors with my motorbike and try to find like this weird recording studio in some back dingy alley in Ho Chi Minh City and go up to the booth, record 30 minutes of Red Bull voiceovers, make couple hundred bucks and well in this case a couple million vietnam dong and then i would go home or go to the next job are you still in communication with a lot of people that you met over there not really a few you know i mean expat life and you know particularly like foreigners living in asia it's like you're generally there for a year two three years at the most some people are lifers or they get married and have families over there um but for the most part people you know move on so i, I do still have some friends there but um 
Uh, one of my good buddies, Carl, I call him Baby Santa. He's just a cute person. <laughs> Looks like a Baby Santa. He's a Swedish guy. He turned me on to a lot of great rock music. Um, but uh, he's oh, he started like a business in Vietnam, and now he's like a he's like doing pretty good. I forget what he does. I think he like bottles like tea or something. And uh, yeah, he's still living there in the in the madness. Well, the first time I heard about you was when I saw this at the Yellowphone in Milwaukee. Wow, you're at Yellowphone. And uh, yeah, we, that's the first time we talked. Dang, I think okay. We were yeah. down at the, the merch table. All right. Had some conversation, but I, I took that home and I listened to it and I loved it. I mean, this is like, I'd say more kind of not folky, but sort of kind of. It's like acoustic punk, I would call it. Yeah, I, I mean, guess. it was different, which yeah. was, was cool about it. And I noticed at the time that like you had, a, at least according to the back of this, a big team working for you or a lot of people like doing stuff. It wasn't just, you know, artwork, Brett. Uh, producing Brett. Right, no, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, there was a label, Goodland Records, which I believe is on hiatus or defunct now, but they were an awesome label out of Milwaukee. I'm sure you're aware of them. They put out a bunch of power pop and indie rock stuff. And yeah, they put out that first record, American Folk Armageddon, which is kind of like a Violent Femmes-inspired, you know, acoustic punk record. Minimal, but drums, bass, acoustic guitar, kind of loud and fast. And uh, I actually regret calling that album American Folk Armageddon because now like journalists still call us like a folk rock band, which just pisses <laughs> me off so much. Like, um, but yeah, what can you do? And, you know, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but you ended up playing with a lot of people that, you know, were pre- you were probably inspired by around that time, like the, the Femmes and, and we'll, we'll get into that. But, but um, when, when this was released, well, when the full album was released, did you get a, a good reaction right away? Was your fan base building up or did it take a little bit? To- oh, I mean, yeah, it, it took a long ass time. I mean, that record made a lot of sense because it was, you know, acoustic bass. I could tour on it solo. I think I played 200 shows that year in 2014, uh, you know, all over the world. I played a lot in Ireland and mainland Europe and I played a little bit in South Africa and then all around the States, you know, rough kind of DIY tours, cr- real crusty and grungy and sleeping on porches and you know, on people's trampolines and stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the the label helped, you know, it has a little bit of a following. So people discovered my stuff through the label, which was pretty cool. Um, but most of it's just going out and playing and, and meeting people. I've been uh, building an email list since the first show I ever did, um, passing it around at shows. And um, back then, you know, 10, 11 years ago, it was really like not cool to do that sort of thing i think it was seen as like kind of lame or like something a cool band wouldn't do but uh now it's like it saved my life like there's like fourteen thousand people on the band email list so whenever we put out releases or songs like people know about it and you know i put out tour journals of like weird places we play and and basically real time if we're like playing overseas and we're you know playing some weird castle town you know i'll write about it and uh, the weirdos we meet and the creepy places we stay and put it out every Friday on the newsletter. So, yeah. You, uh, you had a release come out today. So congratulations, a single, right? Oh, thanks. That, and it, it's got like a, to me, it sounds very inspired by the nineties and you bring that up yourself, like that you're kind of like a nineties, like, you know, in grunge, you know, all different kind of comments. But I mean, is that like the, the main music that inspired your writing? I is would it- say so. Yeah. I mean, that was the nineties were big for me when I was a little kid, all that rock, rock stuff on the radio um but yeah um i really like 
<laughs> I mean, part of our sound and some of our songs, I would call, I guess people call them like slacker rock, which is probably an example of the latest song, which is called This Love is a Fluke. And, um, you know, it's, it's funny and ironic to me because we're like a band that obviously like works very hard, but plays slacker rock, which is probably not very cool, <laughs> <laughs> which is why Pitchfork maybe doesn't write about us. But um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's fun. I love like... I love lyrically driven music. I, you know, I, I think lyric writing is, is one of my strengths as a songwriter. I'm maybe not the best singer or guitarist in the world, but I feel like I've, I've got like something to say lyrically. And, um, I don't know. That's lyrics are a bit of a niche, like people who really pay attention to words and, you know, like maybe hyper literate music listeners. Like it's definitely a, a smaller segment of the musical population as, as listeners, but those who are into it are, are really into it. You know, it's a, a good point because there, there is like music that's good. And sometimes if you know what the lyrics are, the song can all of a sudden not be as good. Totally. You know, or it can all of a sudden be a bad song and you read the lyrics. You're like, well, I guess that the song's better, better than I thought it was. Great but, point. Yeah. But your latest single, it, it does have kind of like a, a Beck kind of sound like when Beck was doing more of the, the love Beck. Yeah. Doing more of the early stuff, mm -hmm. which I really like a lot. Um, and then there's a song I think I uh, was called, what are you smoking? Or, or yeah. Is that yeah. The title? It's kind of talk singing. Yeah. Similar vibe to it, but mm -hmm. I, I really like it. And I don't think there's a lot of artists around here that are still doing that. So it makes it unique. Yeah. Thanks McNamara. Well, it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, that is cool. It's like, I guess if you want that sort of thing in the Midwest or Wisconsin, I do feel like we're kind of like one of the only bands doing it, which has limitations, but it's also good. It's like, hey, if we want that sort of thing, let's go see Newski. It's not the coolest genre in the world or the most trending genre. Disagree. Okay. Yeah. You're the man. That's why I love you. But, um, you know, it has a place. It has a following. And uh, it's uh, we have awesome people that come to our shows. They're like really in general like i'm obviously sweeping with a right wide brush but we have a lot of great <laughs> weird ass people that come see us play that we enjoy talking to and their characters a lot of them are i would call them like straight up cartoon characters so we have an awesome following it's not like um yeah it's not like 20 year olds who go to bonnaroo come see us it's it's a, it's a little different that's okay it's like it's hey it's also nice that our our fans and our crowd is employed and has money to spend on records. That's great too. So, um, well, you're, much you're, love people who come to see us. You're really good at marketing as well. Like just the, uh, the t-shirt designs, like you're, you never get stale. You're constantly like putting out more stuff for people to buy. Or, I love know. making merch. <laughs> I think it's so fun. And we're, I think we're lucky in a sense that, uh, I guess it's, it's sort of quote unquote on brand to make dumb merch, dumb t-shirts. And that to me, that's easier to sell cause it's easier to promote cause you don't have to, I don't know, it's, you know, it's self deprecation. So it's, it's a bit easier to, um, not want to hate yourself when you're promoting stuff to sell. Cause you gotta, you gotta sell shirts and you gotta sell records if you want to, if you want to keep going. So, um, but yeah, being good at marketing is a, I'll take that as a compliment, but I think a lot of people as a, especially 10 years ago when I was starting, it's like, if you were good at marketing, you were a loser. Like you, <laughs> you are not a cool band and the hipsters in Madison hated us. Um, but that's how it goes. What's your all time favorite Brett Newski shirt that you've designed? 
Well, my my oh, yeah, our, they, our all-time biggest selling shirt is the one where I drew a cartoon of Tom Petty that says <laughs> Tom Petty may or may not be Jesus. That one I probably sold the most, including we uh, Tom Petty's management bought a bunch of them, <laughs> which that's insane. Um, you had a Dave thought Grohl he was going to sue, sue us for sure. Yeah, I, I made a shirt that said Dave Grohl does not listen to Brett Newski. That one was fun. The, um, I made a shirt on the last tour that just says person on it. That one's pretty <laughs> stupid. People have liked that one. Um, I, one of the first shirts I ever made was like a Nike bootleg shirt with an upside down Nike sign that said, don't not do it. <laughs> I saw some guy wearing that not too long ago. I was like, whoa, that's from like 2011 or something. So I don't know. So one, one time I found a, one of my shirts at Goodwill and like the, <laughs> the $4 rack. And it was the, the funniest part was that it was signed. Like the person had me <laughs> sign it on the back. And it was like, like I said, it's worth less now. You know, now it's at did, Goodwill. Did he buy it back? Did I? No. I, what if someone saw me do that? It'd be the, be the end. <laughs> I probably would have. I probably would have tried to buy it back and then could have sold it. Resell it, it. yeah. <laughs> Thirty bucks at a show. Was it personalized signed. too, or just signed? No personal. Oh, yeah, perfect. Just yeah, you smile. could have sold yeah. it. Yeah, maybe so. It. <laughs> yeah, it looked a little ratty, but that's in now. You can go to Austin, Texas, and buy forty-five dollar ratty T-shirts. You know, at the know, thrift stores. Nuts. You know, so. Did you uh, collect T-shirts when you were going to shows when you were growing up, like concert T-shirts? And yeah, band I mean, t-shirts? sure. I mean, I couldn't really afford to buy concert t-shirts but like the few that i bought or my pops bought me a bare naked ladies shirt at, on the maroon tour and from like 2000 and that i still have um i remember going into this the arena and seeing shirts were 25 dollars, and this is like 20 years ago or whatever and i couldn't believe it i was like oh my god 25 dollars for a shirt which was insane back then but now you go to a show and it's like foo fighters it's like $50 shirts, oh, $50 for a t-shirt. So well, you probably used to ours do are 25. We gotta, we gotta crank up our merch prices. <laughs> we used to always buy like the bootleg shirts and you would leave like the arena. There'd be somebody out there with mm-hmm. a bunch under their extra, extra, extra large shirt yeah, and yeah. 10 bucks. And that's awesome. I don't know if you bought any of those back. Never in the day. did. No, I, I, I don't remember seeing those, but they must've been hawking them. Yeah. The late nineties, it was huge. Like I got some Pearl Jam ones and, um, Paul McCartney when he played at the old stadium in Milwaukee. You know, sometimes oh, you'd have yeah. a misspelling on there. Or oh, that's something awesome. That wasn't that's accurate, what you want. But, See, yeah. I was not a I was not a big enough kid in the '90s to go to shows. I was still a little kid, <laughs> so I didn't start going to shows till like 20, uh, 2003 or four, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess that's when I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, so the, when you're selling merch, are you even selling CDs and records anymore? I know. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we sell vinyl and and CDs. Uh, CDs have kind of taken a dip the past couple of years, but there's and we still make them for the some vinyl, reason. Like, it seems like there's lots of vinyl collectors. A lot of people buy that even without owning a record player because it's just kind of a cooler piece of art. Do you find that? I mean, I know you released vinyl before. Uh, are you even looking at vinyl when you put out your new releases, or was it such a pain in the butt? I think it was upside down. Was that the yeah, life, life upside, upside down? down? I try to put out everything on vinyl. Um, I mean, you know, we printed a thousand copies of the album "Don't Let the Bastards Get You Down," which was the most. That was that's a big run. Yeah. And then the Pando hit, so that was brutal. Um, but actually, I went and down in the basement the other day. We, we don't have that many left, so you know, I, if you tour enough, even if you're not, you know, 
a major selling indie band, it's like you you do sell records, and it's like you you'll be surprised that. And yeah, some people want them that don't have a record player, which is great, and you can get them into shops, and people buy those. So, um, yeah, no, there's a risk, but uh, to me, it's like the it's like the ultimate legitimizer of an album. Like if it's on vinyl, boom. Yeah. You know, it'll at least live another 50 or 100 years before it's melted down into wax and turned into like, <laughs> you know, a, a post Malone greatest hits. <laughs> I've seen like at some of the shops or some of the like farmer market shops, you've got the people that make the old records into bowls, which I don't know if you've seen that. They'll melt the sides up. So it's yes, like those bowl. are cool. They're cool, but like the chip bowls. But the bands that are, you know, these are worthless enough for I'm going to make these into a bowl. Like, mm-hmm. kind of like, <laughs> but at least you live on, you're immortal That's in, a, true. in a bowl of salsa. That's true. You know, with the CD, you, I mean, I guess you could kind of do some artwork with the CD, but not like a, a record, I guess. CDs are trash. <laughs> They're such garbage. They're basically just like uh, disc golf frisbees, you know? What do you think of the small group of people that are trying to make a cassette revival? I think cassettes rule. I love them. Um, our crowd doesn't really buy them, but if you're like a cool band in your early 20s, like cassettes are rad and they're cheap. Um, I still buy them from bands and they're like five or 10 bucks. So I got a, I just bought a little like old boombox so I can listen to them. But uh, I think I like them because they remind me of like Nintendo cartridges or Sega Genesis <laughs> cartridges. Were you a Sega Genesis guy? Uh, we had a Nintendo and then a Super Nintendo and then we didn't mm-hmm. have anything after that. Yeah. Yeah. You get it. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So you've got the cassettes. The one thing about those, though, it's almost like vinyl where you're kind of stuck listening unless you want to forward. You know, you kind of have to listen to it through, which when you're sequencing your albums, are you putting a lot of time into the sequence of it? Sure. I mean, sequence is huge. It's fun. 20 different mixes and see what you got. That's one of the most fun steps. Sequencing an album or making a set list. I think that's really enjoyable. What's the, the step you hate the most about working on an album? Um, well, I mean, promoting shows sucks the most balls for sure. But as far as the creative process, I mean, that, that's kind of the rad part, you know, I don't know if there's a part I don't like. Um, I try to, I mean, I don't really want to engineer my own record if I don't have to, that's a bit pain in the butt, but, uh, yeah, creative process rules. That's the easy part. Like I I always say, um, making records is easy, promoting them isn't or is hard or whatever i don't know something like that promoting records and uh getting them out there is that's the tough thing amongst the infinite digital ether and uh everyone has a couple bands these days you know i heard that crack yeah that was my neck it felt good (laughs) felt good um so you you did two shows at mala music um, the last one was on Houdini Plaza, right? Or did you so we played the, oh, you played we later. We played the Houdini Plaza in the sun, and that was tough. Like playing in the sun where you can't see your pedals and your guitar gets melted out of tune. You know, you know how that goes. But um, so that was, but it was cool. It was like it was pretty pretty good crowd, and the set was like loose in the way that we were. I don't know, kind of making fun of each other and making fun of ourselves, and we came up with some new bits. So that was cool. And the then bass player had like a mask on, which oh, he had a Shrek mask. Yeah, it's like a <laughs> seemed like a bad time to wear that in the heat. He always puts the Shrek mask on like mid set and <laughs> rocks it for a couple songs. Sean, our bass player, is very he's very good with like little mini gimmicks, like bonus gimmicks. So he'll like we'll just be walking around Toronto, and he's like, hey. I'm going to buy this pumpkin costume. <laughs> and then he'll walk around all day in a pumpkin costume <laughs> or then like give it to a fan and sign it. So all that stuff kind of helps boost morale on tour, you know? 
You, you played uh, Houdini Plaza last year as well. I think you played later at night. That was year. insane. I think we had like yeah. the eight o'clock. It was a crazy show. It was awesome. Yeah. That was one of my favorite shows of all time. And then this year, of course, was earlier in the day, which is still kind of fun to play. But like you said, the sun can be in your eyes and it's just kind of hot. Yeah. I mean, it kind of, I kind of needed it. I kind of felt like maybe I needed to sweat a bunch and just kind of sometimes that, you know, like a hard workout, you get done with that and you just feel, feel like a new man and feel way better. So I think it was necessary. Are you in a chatty mood after you get done playing typically? No, I'm useless. Like (laughs) I can't tell what anyone's saying to me. My mind blanks. I can't really hear what people are saying. I'm like, Oh, it's like overstimulation or something. And then I have to go sit in the car for a while and then come back. Before the show, are you in a good headspace? Like, what do you normally do to get in the the mindset to to play a show? Do you need silence or? Hmm. I haven't been in a good headspace all summer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Before the show, yeah, I usually just go for a walk around the city. Um, Not super personal, but like before. Get stopped a bunch of times, have somebody talk to you all the way back to the venue. Sometimes that happens, (laughs) which is an honor, but I usually go try to like find a path in the woods or something where, um, or that's kind of the, uh, you know, yeah, I think it's just I try to save up all the all the social juice I have for when we go on stage, um, and then I just drain that to oblivion and uh, and recharge later, take a fat nap, you know. Do you ever get paranoid that like your guitar is not going to be in tune? No, not really. I mean, I bought a I got a really nice guitar, and if it does go out of tune, you know, we can kind of cover each other and make a bit out of it, like, um, which can sometimes add to the show. Have you ever been hurt during a show? Um, yeah, I mean, not seriously. I did. I did pop my back once. It wasn't to the point where I couldn't stand or finish the show. But like, yeah, I was af- afterwards. I had to like ice for a week, you know, because <laughs> I don't know. We're we're still young and nimble. I want to be able to jump around for a while. So it's it feels good, you know. Really, I really appreciate you doing this. It's great to have you down here. It's awesome. Anytime, man. This studio rules. It's a, it's a classic midwest basement it reminds me of that 70s show <laughs> so yeah i feel like i'm gonna see red form and pop up behind the drum set or something so there there is a built-in grill over there which i've never used the house inspector said that's not fire brick and he heavily suggested we don't use that for grilling the microwaves in there oh right yeah now. yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> it looks like fake brick something yeah like hey what's cheaper that's uh fire bricks double now yeah, let's just go with the regular it'll just be fine plastic brick <laughs> So you, you had a book come out and then I'm curious, like you're such a outgoing personality and, and so friendly, but I was really surprised when the book came out and it sort of addressed kind of like issues and mental health and, and stuff like that. Like what, what drove you to kind of get out of your comfort zone and put all that out there? Because that's, I mean, a huge thing to actually come out and say, you know what, this is how I feel and, and to kind of help others in a way. Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess I've always been like talking about mental health um, in song, you know, kind of making fun of my own uh, anxieties and that sort of thing. And that, that's been like a good way to emote and kind of uh, vent out my little emo kid self. Um, but yeah, I mean, I always wanted to make a book and uh the, the panda was so huge creatively because I had all this time to create and I just made so many drawings and paintings and all these like kind of depression comedy jokes and um, it fit all together in that book. I think um, some of you guys have it. It's called It's Hard to Be a Person, Defeating Anxiety, Surviving the World and Having More Fun. And uh, yeah, that's been a cool ride because it's uh, like a, a parallel 
thing to the music where it's like it's put me in some new avenues creatively and also like i've got to talk to tons of new media that you know cbs or nbc or people outside of like the music press which has been neat and um yeah man it was it's been it's been cool um i didn't uh i didn't expect that but i guess mental health is big big talk part of the culture right now so i think part of it latched onto the culture and like i still get messages from like emails from like therapists and like um even like rehab clinics that are like hey we bought a couple copies for the the clinic and people like it and stuff so it's it's cool yeah i mean when somebody comes up to you and says like this book helped me you know get through this i mean how do you react to that i mean what can you really say to that that's pretty huge i mean yeah yeah it's pretty it's one of those things where it's like someone says it and it's like usually it's right after a show so my brain is fried and i you know i have trouble like everything's sinking in but usually it hits me later it's like this um mom came up to me and she's like hey my son loves your book it's helped him a lot um he went to rehab and he showed it to everyone in the in the rehab facility and they're like oh yeah we already read that that book's awesome so like they had it in there already and uh and that was cool and that was something that like when i got home that night it was like hit me as like wow like because i think there's like a you kind of beat yourself up as a human person and maybe more so as a musician where you're like, ah, what I do is like selfish or it's just like, my job is cool. It's, I'm just doing it for myself or it's for me that yada yada. But then you're like, Oh, what I do actually has purpose and like is useful to people. And that's like huge. And I think people in general just need to kind of pat themselves on the back when they, uh, you know, everyone needs to not be so hard on themselves. Cause I, I do that as much as the next person. So the, the title of the book I love, It's Hard to Be Human, because I'm always saying, and my wife and I, it's like when... It's hard to be a person. When, when our, well, when our son does something and he's stressed out, it's like, it's, it's hard to be a kid, but then it's, you know, people do grow up and it's just hard to be a person. I mean, it's like, there's lots of different struggles in life and lots of different things to overcome and everybody's different. And where can somebody buy that book if they're interested in picking it up? Well, I think it's it's uh, wherever on the internet. The best place is newskeymusic.com. That's direct from the source through our website. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, a lot of booksellers. When somebody buys it on Amazon, I mean, how does that affect, obviously, what what's coming back to you? Like, how big of a cut does Amazon take from something I, like that? I can't remember exactly. I have a buddy who handles all my Amazon. But yeah, they t- certainly take a cut. Um, so yeah, best to get it from, from the, the band directly. But uh, yeah, jeff.com or... Uh, Jeff Bezos sells it as well. Jeffrey. <laughs> He's got to buy another uh, yacht or another. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Bezos. <laughs> I'm going to sample that and use that. Song. That's like, a, I think that's like a Bo Burnham song. He has that song that's like, uh, it's really, he's a, speaking of depression comedy, he's the master, Bo Burnham, but it's like, uh, can I swear on here? It's early. I mean, it's your call. But the, maybe, it, maybe say like, Okay. Ah, well, well, listen to the Jeffrey Bezos song by Bo Burnham. Okay, whatever. Sorry, I had to put the clamp down there. No, no, that's cool. <laughs> okay, so the book, you did the book. You've got all this music out. You've shot a ton of music videos that are really clever. Um, I'm sure everybody saw it. You, can I say you went viral with some of your store videos? We've had a few like mini viral moments, I guess. Yeah, we played a show at a Walmart years ago that was and then now everyone's kind of like doing stunts like that um but uh where else we played at chipotle everyone hated us there walmart <laughs> loved us we were like we're big at walmart chipotle thinks we stink <laughs> well, i love what you did at chipotle because 
during that one you took a bite out of somebody's food and then later it was like another good promo a double dip where you could say this, that was planted and then you kind of pointed out the yeah we did a, a analysis video yeah yeah which is yeah. great because then you can get it in front of people again they'll have to yeah watch it no again. that's cool we should <laughs> actually that's a fun that's a fun model of what you see people do like commentary videos we should mm-hmm. we should do that more what could we do commentary videos on what would be like a good series we could do commentary videos on like anything like other music yeah. videos i mean people do it yeah it do like a beavis mind. and butthead format <laughs> that's actually not bad were you a Beavis and Butthead fan? Sure, yeah, big time. Did, did you discover any bands off that show? I don't think so. I remember when the music videos came on, I'd always get kind of bummed out because <laughs> I thought that part of the show sucked, but I loved the cartoons. There's a, a Babes in Toyland is one band I discovered off there. They played a, a song called uh, Bruce Violet, which, it, anyways, it was good. That's anyways. Yeah, they, I don't remember like. Maybe they played more deep cut videos on that show. Is that something? Because I don't remember knowing a lot of the bands on Beavis and Butthead. Well, a lot of them were bad videos that they could make right, fun of. Right, like Something with fire in it or mm, something. Fire, fire. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you have a, an album that you've done that is harder than the other? Like, it was there, you did an album with, like, where you were songwriting with a lot of heroes of yours. A lot of, like, musicians that, that you looked up to growing up. I mean, was that album... A little more stressful to do than some of the previous ones or was it just easier because it was kind of a fun experience like i don't want to oh yeah yeah so this latest album it's called friend rock and the concept is every song on the album has a guest who is like a musical influencer or a musical hero of mine or um you know who's become kind of a friend so um yeah those weren't co-writes they were um i i wrote those songs on my own and then i would have the artist guest vocal on them and sing a verse and a harmony kind of thing um that was cool. I mean, I I think the only thing that sucked was just chasing down tracks from all over the world, you know, following up with deadlines and trying to get people uh, to send me tracks before certain deadlines. You know, musicians are erratic and all over the place. So, But these, these cats came through big, and uh, it was kind of at the end of the pando, so people were at home, and uh, it, was, it was perfect time to do it. So was a lot of it done, obviously, sending tracks online, and then they would record their parts, send it back, and exactly. do it that way? Mm-hmm. So yeah, there was, it was cool because there's artists, you know, from the UK, Matthew Cause from Not A Surf lives in the UK. He did it over there. I had a band from South Africa, the Shabs. They sent one in from Cape Town, um, Mike Ehrenberg in Manitoba, Canada. So yeah, it was like a kind of a global effort in a sense. Not to put you on the spot. Did you have a favorite track on that album? Favorite tracks. I think the first song called Freak Flag Fly is probably one of my favorite tracks on the album because it's a little bit new territory for us. It's just a little, it's kind of cruises and it's a little groovier and it's a little different. Um, but I love like Chemicals, which is the one with Matthew Cause from Not A Surf. It's just kind of a straight, just kind of ripper indie rock song. Um, and then the other song that's kind of been getting some I don't know, response has been only Macaulay Culkin can save us now, which is just like a (laughs) satirical, political, you know, commentary song about how, you know, America is just so uh, upside down politically and we can't agree on anything uh, ever, except I think uh, one person we could all agree to lead our country to greatness is uh, Macaulay Culkin. (laughs) You brought up you did a lot of that album during the pandemic, but did when that hit, I mean... You were already a full-time musician at that point, weren't you? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it did what did you do to kind of keep income coming in? Or were you sort of just on pause waiting to see how long it was going to take to shake out? Well, I'm always like, I got such a hyper brain that I'm always like trying to figure something out. Like if so, 
at first I was like, wow, I just, I remember going into my living room and just sitting in a chair and looking outside at a sunny day and being like, wow, I have a blank calendar. I don't have to do anything, go anywhere, call anyone, email anyone. I just remember that feeling as being like so good, such a great feeling. And then, yeah, it just became a songwriting spree and, um, you know, I found ways to sell some more merch online, kind of just general kind of trying to be scrappy and, and hustle a little bit, but uh, might have been one of the happiest years of my life, to be honest. I had one of my best friends live down the street. We made bonfires all the time, um, ate a bunch of mushrooms on the beach. It was pretty good. So uh, um, I don't know. I guess we can't ever recreate the Pando. So, you know, it sucked for a lot of people, but uh, there's was, there was, there was positives. So I guess at some point, though, it got to the point where it wasn't fun anymore and you wanted to do something and were, were you wondering if it was ever going to get back to normal where you could actually I was go? hoping it would never get back to normal <laughs> I was like let's just do this now <laughs> well obviously you came out of it just fine are you married I'm not no not married so you don't have any like buddy at home to kind of tie you back you can no but and- I, I got back together with my uh, ex-girlfriend Anna during the pando which was awesome because we're like still really tight really good friends um but yeah, that was another component that was great because like the pressure was kind of off um, our relationship a bit, and um, you know, the house is two units, um, so we could we had our own space. We usually rent the upstairs to Airbnb, but we had all this extra space, so nice. the upstairs was like a creative zone, and the downstairs was like the kitchen cooking zone, and it was it was a good time. Well, you've got that, that kind of led into a that highly personal question led into this next one. So you, you've got a lot of shows coming up and you're actually going overseas. Like, is that hard? Do you enjoy, you know, you're in Vietnam for a couple of years. Is it hard for you to go away for that long or do you enjoy it? I know you're close with your family and. Yeah, no, I'm pretty nervous. I mean, to be honest, I've had a, a pretty rocky time mentally. Um, I'm like weaning off this anti-anxiety medication called Paxil, which is, never take that medicine it's crazy um i mean i'm a fan of like um antidepressants i think they're great for stretches you know this is not i actually looked this one up it's like the side effects are like really intense it's like side effects may include suicide suicide and suicide so i'm trying to uh my brain has just been it's never been so out of whack just high ups really low lows so I think I'm kind of getting to the other side of that, but apparently that can last for like weeks or months after you stop taking this garbage. So um, I'm looking forward to feeling more normal again and feeling more, you know, feeling pumped to wake up in the morning and stuff. But uh, yeah, so at the moment, I'm just trying to power through that, exercise a shitload, eat a bunch of salad, not drink beer, you know, but tonight I might have to have a beer. It's mile <laughs> music. So um, I'll be all right. Don't call in. I'm not going to kill myself. You were going to come on the show a while back, and then Charlie Barron stole you out from under me, and you did a a, a bit with Charlie for uh, his, I don't know, his website or something where you were a basketball coach. Like how? Oh, did, I was a basketball referee. Referee, that's it. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. No, that that's looks right. fun. Like I, I would have totally chosen that as well. But I mean, how was that experience for you? That's it, it was fun. I, I just what it was kind of on my creative bucket list to do a, a skit with Charlie, um, and. You know, we, we've been in touch a bit over the years. We actually went to grade school together for a couple of years. And uh, so I was a basketball referee and early on in my music career, when I had weekends off, I'd officiate four or five games, you know, youth re- league, summer, high school leagues. So I had all these experiences of parents being absolute psychopath, 
delinquent four-year-olds because they would like their nine-year-old girls game they would be like screaming at the at the officials and eating a donut and drinking a big gulp i'd be like i gotta write about this so i wrote like a i wrote a sketch about it sent it to barons and his people they they kind of punched it up and you know baronsified it and made it a little <laughs> little tighter and stronger and then yeah we shot it uh in an afternoon at a cold gymnasium that was actually condemned so it was ice cold in there and uh it was march maybe and um it was actually, I walked into the gym, I was like, oh, crap, I used to play, like, AAU basketball games in here when I was, like, 14. So, it was a, a full circle moment, and, uh, yeah, it was cool. And now you can watch it online, it's called Dad vs. Ref. He's, Charlie plays a ref that's just, like, going postal, or, sorry, Charlie plays the dad that's completely out of whack going postal at a youth basketball game. And I, I love the, the spectators that are sitting on the benches, he's like, uh, just people sitting around. One guy is just kind of like old. There's an old camcorder in there. There's just lots of cool stuff that I think when you're putting something like that together, you've got to kind of think ahead. Like, okay, we're going to need this or let's bring this. And obviously, Charlie's been. Oh man, it's such a production. That. It's like, I mean, it was a quick, quick shoot production, but even still, big lights, big camera, second camera. Charlie's got his producer there. We get a couple extras, and he's such a pro. Like, I mean, he's like a. Uh, I don't know, maybe like a perfectionist in a sense of like, just like make sure let's get this joke. Okay, try it this way. And we're improving off each other. And I love improv, but I'm not trained. I just goof off online. He's like trained. He's been to like the comedy schools, the improv schools. So he knows that I don't like these certain lingos for certain things. And um, so that was a bit intimidating because I was like, dang, this guy like does this full time. And he's so, so freaking funny. We're all just like losing it. And he, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't lose it. He like stays in character. He like he busted out some tears. <laughs> I'm like thinking he's gonna break and start cracking up, and he just stays like he's just like let's do another one. Boom, 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 boom. More jokes, more improv, and I'm just like trying to hold it together. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was awesome. The guy's a the guy's a legend. And we're kind of running towards the end of the interview, but I, before it's over, I want to ask you about Dirt from the Road. It's a, a podcast you've been doing for quite some time. You interview guests and you talk about how to kind of keep sane and kind of stories yeah, from yeah. the road. How did how did you get started in that? And, and what are some of the the cool things that you've learned about yourself and some of the guests by doing that? Yeah, that was Dirt from the Road. Is a podcast started in the Pando, but yeah, musicians come on, comedians tell their like lowest moments on the road, uh, career highlights, lowlights, which is always really funny in retrospect you know because like you have these lows where you're like you're like waiting to go on stage in an alleyway in the south in alabama like crying in an alley after your girlfriend just broke up with you and then you got to go on stage and like make people laugh or like you know perform so yeah it's been um it's been a nice ride with the pod it got me in touch with a lot of bands i like a lot of my musical heroes it it was actually kind of partially the catalyst for um the album friend rock because it just uh sparked up a lot of cool new relationships and stuff and um a lot of 90s bands you've heard have been on there you know guster verf pipe not a surf uh all american rejects dashboard confessional stuff like that so um small artists bigger artists kind of all over the board so yeah check it out if you want but no pressure dirt from the road how often are you releasing episodes of that? Do you record it regularly? Uh, it's once a week, yeah. Okay. And I'm actually running around Mile of Music doing a few, so. Getting it's some fun, in the man. can. <laughs> it's fun, yeah, get them in the can. It's like, you know how it is with, like, work. You want to, like, 
it's really good to like bucket things. Like you yep. do all the you do all the podcasts in a row, and then you do all the recording in a batch, and it kind of keeps your rhythm and keeps you um, doing similar tasks with the similar part of your brain all at once. Well, say this about you, Brett. You're not like a guy to sit on your hands. Like you're at something like Mile of Music. You're not thinking, well, I'm just going to sit sit by the hotel pool and drink a couple beers. You're like, how can I use this time to to get you know more done sure yeah it's admirable thanks man um well you're doing a good job as well and obviously i mean this studio is incredible i want to build this at my own house it's great sweet well let me know if you have any questions (laughs) yeah i gotta get a basement first (laughs) yeah well you've got that upstairs you could just keep for a while yeah people giving us money to sleep there though so (laughs) yeah keep it open well you could like is it two rooms upstairs you could just be like it's just one yeah yeah that's too bad yeah, call in, uh, join the Patreon, uh, PO me a briefcase of sweaty money so I can buy a basement. What do you have coming up next? Are you working on a new album? I know you just had the single come out, so it's um, kind of ludicrous to look ahead to the next album, but are you working uh, yeah, on stuff? Yeah, it's time to start recording stuff. I don't know. Uh, we might record a couple singles uh, up in Appleton with Amos from Tenement. That's oh, nice. probably going to happen over the winter. He's awesome. Memory. He's yeah. so good. Um and but yeah i guess start thinking about recording i'm ready i'm ready to start making songs again i've got a bunch of you know 50 or 60 songs written so it'd be cool to to record them onto a thingy 50 or 60 songs written how many songs do you have recorded it's got to be close to 100 i think so maybe maybe 100 that is insane <laughs> yeah i mean i've been doing it a long time so well still though i mean that output is that that's great that's, thanks do you thanks. find it easy to songwrite yeah. What's, what's harder, writing the lyrics or the music Sorry, for you? Sorry, I like a douche. Um, well, you know, sometimes you sit down and you're like, this is garbage. Like, I write plenty of turds. I just try not to show them to people. Um, but no, that is a, that's like a mode that, I don't know, it's just like a thing that I, works for me. You know, I suck at a lot of things. I feel like I'm decent at songwriting and, and it's a good therapy for me. So I'm um, going to keep doing it. 